0: Promotional consideration paid for by the following.
1: Hey, bro, it's russo'sbrand.com. Get the real shoot for the most controversial personality in pro wrestling, Vince Russo. Stevie Richards Fitness. Hey, don't you think it's time for a band new you? Head over to stevierichardsfitness.com and join the SRF resistance today. ProWrestlingTees.com get the coolest merchandise from your favorite independent pro wrestling talent worldwide head over to prowrestlingtees.com and support indie wrestling today
2: the following program is presented by the htm podcast network Hello ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to the debut episode of Podcast of Honor brought to you by Ring of Honor's Honor Club. Visit ROHwrestling.com for more information. My name is Jargo, I will be your host for the day, but let's welcome in our guest. He is a 33-year veteran of the business. Uh, He's worked in every major professional wrestling company inside of North America, inside of his tenure. He is a three-time WWF champion, a former WCW Hardcore champion, the final Game Changer Wrestling Extreme champion, and alongside his tag team partner, Brody King, winner of the 2019 Crockett Cup, former NWA World Tag Team champion, and now let's talk Ring of Honor. He is a former Ring of Honor World Six-Man Tag Team Champion, Ring of Honor World Tag Team Champion, and most recently, he was your Ring of Honor World Heavyweight Champion. He is a proud member of Villain Enterprises, the Canadian Frankenstein, the perfect creation one. Ladies and gentlemen, he is not human. He is PCO. PCO, welcome to the Podcast of Honor. Yeah, how are you? I am absolutely fantastic, sir. It is so great to have you on the show today.
3: Perfect, perfect introduction for Perfect Creation 1.
2: Yes, absolutely.
3: You didn't miss a beat there. I mean, you had every single title that I've won, you know, so you did your research. I mean, it was great.
2: Oh, I have done so much research. PCO, I think I sat down last night for about three and a half hours to research (laughs) your incredibly storied career. But before we go backwards, I wanted to talk to you a little bit about the climate going on inside of the world today. Of course, I'm talking about COVID-19, the coronavirus, Uh, In talking with several Ring of Honor talents over the last couple of weeks, and really talking to anyone on the face of the planet over the last couple of weeks. It's the only thing that's worth talking about. How are you doing up there in the Great White North with uh, COVID-19, the coronavirus?
3: Uh, it's pretty, it's uh, pretty hard. I mean, we can't do much. You know, we're on confinement. You know, uh, restriction, restrictions. Uh, we can't be more than two at a time, at uh, six feet away from each other. If not, we're getting like uh, tickets of uh, between a thousand six thousand dollars. Like uh, for, I think for an example, yesterday, like two guys, they were six feet apart, and they were loading up like a Harley Davidson on a trailer. So one friend was helping the other one, and they got like each guy got fifteen hundred dollar ticket. While the police was talking to the other police on the car side by side on the window, you know. So they took a photo of that. So it's a big, big uh, thing on the news right now. But it's pretty severe, you know. And uh, there's not that many cases and deaths, but they don't, they don't want to. They don't want the hospital to be you know like uh, to uh load up and uh, they want to have enough beds and they want to flatten the curve basically and they so far have succeeded but they canceled every event in montreal the jazz international festival of jazz is canceled the uh, formula one in june is canceled uh Every summer event, all the way up to I would say July for sure, end of July, it's all canceled.
1: Yeah, and it's and absolutely yes, tournament the, like
3: the uh, yeah, uh, WTA, you know, tour- the tournament at uh, the Jerry Stadiums is canceled, also. So, everything is canceled
2: unfortunately that includes ring of honor currently uh you had be, been set up to take on alex zane and ray horace at ring of honors 18th anniversary show at sam's town in las vegas i know several talents including your tag team partner brody king your stable mate marty Scurll, flip gordon they had already made the trip to las vegas had you already traveled to las vegas as well yeah. for 18th anniversary yeah,
3: yeah. i i actually i shot uh All the, uh, interviews that I did for, um, the PCO special that's going to be coming up next week on, uh, every syndicate station from ROH, you know, uh, on St. Clair Broadcasting all over the country and all over Canada. So it's going to be a one hour special on PCO. And, uh, so we had the chance, you know, to sit down there and, and, and shoot all those, uh, Pieces that uh, was needed for the, uh, the specials so I uh, can't wait to see that. Um, we saw a little bit uh, of it on Facebook today. It was released, and uh, also on Twitter, probably Instagram as well from the running up on, from from the company actually. So I I've shared it on every uh, on my uh, all social media platforms. I've been sharing it, so uh, everybody knows about it. I guess.
2: Unfortunately, also due to COVID-19, we lost Supercard of Honor this past weekend in Tampa Bay, along with WrestleMania, a little show that you might have heard that was going on down there. Uh, Originally, you had been scheduled to face off with NWA World's Heavyweight Champion, the National Treasure, Nick Aldis. It's a very, very odd dynamic between Villain Enterprises and the NWA. As I mentioned in the open, yourself and Brody King were the winners of last year's Crockett Cup, the NWA World Tag Team Champions. Marty and the champ go way back to their days across the pond. But you now have found a little bit of uh, a sense of competition between the NWA and Villain Enterprises. So... I guess my question for you, sir, what is the current status between ring of honor and the NWA? And do you feel a bit like a pawn in this saga between the old friends of Nick and Marty?
3: Yeah. Yeah. I do feel like it is like that. I know. I think since, uh, Marty joined, uh, and since Marty became in charge of, uh, you know, uh, the office department. Yeah. Creative, uh, he wanted to make sure that we were gonna uh, get a good relationship with New Japan Pro Wrestling as well as with the NWA, and um, I think it's uh, I think it's good. You know, I think uh, if we've if we got good, good allies like that, and I think it's good for everybody. So uh, so far, uh, it's been good because I think uh, previously it didn't work out the way that. Probably ROH, we thought the way that it should work out with NWA, probably NWA didn't like the way that we were doing business with them. So it was a, uh, when they uh, decided to start their own things and work by themselves, it was in a very... uh, polite and good you know it was nothing bad about it It was no bad blood between ROH and NWA so I think it was pretty easy to um, put them back together for Marty, Nick Aldis, David Laguna and uh, all the uh, NWA uh, executives and uh, ROH executives I think it wasn't it wasn't too hard to get back together so I, I think it's going to be a good uh, a good fit there.
2: It seems as though Nick Aldis is constantly in pursuit of this Ring of Honor World Heavyweight Championship. Uh, He was on record when this match was first set up as saying, you know, as far as he was concerned, every time that he is in the ring, sweet, sweet Charlotte is going to be on the line. So are you looking for this matchup to be rescheduled? Would you like a shot at Nick Aldis in the NWA World Heavyweight Championship?
3: Well, I would like to add that title on my, uh, my uh, with all the others' titles that I've have won uh, over the last year. Uh, it would be cool to become the NWA World Everweight Champion. I think it's a very prestigious title that was uh, uh, won from very prestigious wrestlers. So uh, for me, it would be like uh, it would be part of my bucket list for sure. You know, it's something that uh, I would really love to get a chance to uh,
2: to fight uh, for this title and to, to win it, actually. Absolutely. PCO, before yeah. we, we can continue to go forward, sometimes we have to take a bit of a look back. And taking a look back at your career is Just absolutely incredible I I read through a lot of interviews last night I watched a lot of interviews last night You do a ton of media Um, And and one of the things that seemed Very very consistent throughout Was at the age of 14 You were a giant Hulk Hogan fan Is he what really drew you Into professional wrestling at that time? Well I once
3: I've seen WrestleMania 1 on a giant screen because it was on closed circuit mm-hmm. at the time that was not even on pay-per-view yet. Once I've lived that, uh, you know, uh, I got really, I was hooked before that about pro wrestling, but that night I was really, I knew that was going to be what I wanted to to accomplish. and uh, I was always a guy that I admire all kinds of wrestlers, but the one who drew money are the ones that are really, uh, you know. I, I've I've got I've got tons of respect for great workers. I've got tons of respect for uh, great technicians, but I've got more respect, in a way, for me because when you Draw that money and you draw those sellout crowds, and you're, you know, you're a name that when people see that name, they want to buy a ticket. Uh, for me, it means a lot. You know, it means that you're basically, uh, I think it's a per, you know, it's, it gives everyone else a, a chance to, to perform because that one guy or those two guys or four or five guys, uh, drew, uh, and it's a team effort, a team effort. Like everybody's got a role and it's good, but you, for me, uh, being the drawing machine, that was always the role that I looked at, you know, more, more than the, uh, being the technicians or being, uh, but we need everybody, you know, on board. I, I mean, uh, wrestling, it's, it's about the good <laughs> fruit salad, you know, to, to get the taste at the end. You, you need all kinds of, uh, of wrestlers and all kinds of styles and all kinds of different persona and characters. But uh, the, the drawing card is the one that drew my attention. And I think...
2: It's, it's interesting... It, that you say that because that has to be one of the biggest changes inside of the world of professional wrestling over the course of your career. I mean, it used to be that, you know, Hogan, when he was on top, people were buying tickets to go and they would see Hulk Hogan, Ric Flair, when he was with the NWA, Jim Crockett promotions, the early days of WCW. But it seems now more than ever in 2020, that it's more of an ensemble cast And it's interesting because the thing that kind of correlates with that is now we are in the reality era. Everybody wants to use their real names when they're out there. And you have went a completely different direction and it's all about the character and and the the larger than life character and being that big drawing machine again.
3: Yeah. I think we're uh, pretty much at the end of, uh, you know, the real, uh, the real stuff like, because I think what, uh, what happened, uh, the the trend went a little bit to the uh, MMA side of things a little bit, where at one point we had a lot of guys with trunks and, and just knee pads and, you know, taped up wrists and that looked like real fighters and everybody was just, and when I say we add, I'm, I'm talking about every company's and not, not ring of honor. I, I don't, I don't uh, make any uh, differences between any companies, but, uh, everybody's just looked the same and everybody was doing like pretty much the same thing. And, and nothing like just really came out of, of the pack, you know, that much. And at one point you had Austin who came out of the pack. You had the rock came out of the pack. You had Hogan, NWO. For me, there were like the, the four drawing forces like that. We can actually relate to as far as like, well, you know, they drew huge crowds and they drew huge ratings. And to me, that's what it's all about in the business. You know, Uh, being able to be part of a team and to be uh, one of the key player that can draw those huge crowds and having like all the tools to be able to do that. That, that means for me, uh, if you're going to see wrestling, also you're going to, you want to be part of an event. You want to be part of, a uh, something special, you know. Uh, now, Anthony Robbins, who does motivational 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 speakings, is mm-hmm. using lights and and sound systems and all kinds of. Uh, you, you think you're part of a big rave or a big, you know, disco. You know, it's a, it's almost like it's an happening. You know. Mm-hmm. And, and I think for me, uh, to be a good draw, you need a great entrance. You need a super good match and you need, uh, also like a good exit. That's something that has never been done yet. And that's something that I'm working on it right now to exit the ring in a spectacular way as well.
2: That's interesting. I had never thought of that. Everybody puts all the emphasis on the entrance. Nobody puts any emphasis on the exit. Yeah. Hmm, so I
3: think uh, we're uh, innovating here. <laughs> but I, you know, have to pass on my thoughts to creative and, you know, give them ideas. And it's, you know, we got to negotiate a little bit sometimes and and, and try to get the point across and try to take some chance, take some risk. But there's no rewards without taking risk. There's no rewar- reward. reward without taking chances and uh i know i've I've always been a risk taker and a a chance taker and i've I've, many times i've gambled everything on myself a lot of times i've lost but the one time that you win counts all the times that you didn't that you failed
2: absolutely
3: it's so the reward is even like greater and it's even like uh So more fulfilling, you know, so it's, it's awesome.
2: Uh, You would begin your quest for what I am calling your quest for the ring of honor championship in 1987, the world and the wrestling business was quite different back then. Tell us a little bit about your training, who you were trained by your earliest days in the business. And I'm, I'm sure they're incredibly different than what anybody is experiencing breaking into the pro wrestling business in 2020.
3: Well, yeah. At the time that I broke in, it was really tough uh, for me. The wrestling school was for free. It was a uh, like a YMCA uh, type of deal, you know. Like it was like a former good wrestler who wanted to help kids to. Just being downtown Montreal, where it's a rough area, he wanted to get kids out of the street and help out as much as he could as it uh, He was probably in in uh, his uh, late seventies, maybe the beginning of eighties. Pat Gerard and this guy, he had trained like Pat Patterson, Matt Dog Vachon, Joe LeDuc, Duke, the Rougeau brothers, the Rougeau like the the dad, the uncle Johnny, Jock Senior. Uh, so many great names that he had trained. I and and I remember when I was trying to get book, uh, sending packages to WWF at the time, I would not even mention his name, thinking that he was a, a, a nobody until I found out <laughs> when I read, the, <laughs> I found out when I read like Pat Patterson's book and other book that I read. Uh, that that they got all trained by him, and they were mentioning his name, and that he was like like one of the greatest trainer ever. So uh, it, it was pretty amazing to me uh, that sometimes you're trying to not to talk about something, and you should have said it all along, you know. So uh after that you know when i i broke in with them and it was really tough they wouldn't uh, smart you up about the business they wouldn't tell you if uh, anything was choreographed or if the finish would come before a match or anything like that until i got in the dressing room for my first match ever but i knew since i was probably 10 11 12 In my mind, I kind of understood the business, the way it was working. I knew that uh, the way it was, like, working without knowing it. So when uh, they gave me the finish for the first time, it just confirmed everything that I I thought I knew. But I had to go to the wrestling school anyways to learn the basics, to how to fall and the basics, you know, so, uh, but they would like, they wouldn't smart you up, you know, you'd start for the first three months, you'd take all the bumps on the floor, uh, <laughs> learning all the bump, And, uh, you look at the ring, like that's the thing that I want. The first thing that you're thinking, it's like, I want to be able to train in that ring. And
2: so now you're uh, still taking bumps on the floor.
3: Yeah, because I, <laughs> I got trained like that and I got to like it, I guess. And, um, yeah, so that's how I got broken. Like, when they were shooting you in a buckle and they put, like, uh, someone there, over there waiting for you with an elbow or a big boot, they boot the hell out of your face, you know? They they wanted to make you bleed. That's the way we were, uh, we broke in into the business, like, uh, the hard way. And in the meantime, they wanted to know how bad you wanted. So uh, if you started with uh, 40, 50 guys, you ended up being, like, three or four guys at the end of the uh um, at the end of two or three months of trainings. Did, the, the guys were quitting like so easily, so easily. Nobody would take beatings like that.
2: One of the earliest PCO matches that I could find... And I don't know when the last time you saw this match was. It comes to us from Grand Prix Wrestling in Moncton, New Brunswick, Canada. I had never seen this until last night. The Super Bees. yourself. How, you, how did you find that out? I, I dig, man. I dig. Wow. It, yourself and the man that we would come to know as Evil Eddie Watts. What can you tell yeah. us about the Super Bees and Evil Eddie back in those days? Well...
3: The thing, uh, you know, it was so weird because uh, I just came back from, I was trying to get booked for Stuart and the uh, the Calgary Stampede. And he said, uh, and I, I got in the ring with Bruce for maybe an hour or two and then said, no, you're not ready and blah, blah, blah. So I was kind of discouraged. So I came back home. I didn't want to go back to another wrestling school. I knew I had all I needed to have, but I just, I wasn't, speaking english i wasn't from that place and uh i didn't break it into that uh that area so um i uh sent packages to the maritimes and then it was so uh the way that i took some newspaper articles from here doing like indie shows the way that i put out my my package i looked like a real superstars I think at my birthday, my dad said, okay, uh, Carl Ouellette, who's wrestling with Dino Bravo, Rick Martel, International Wrestling. It made me look good. So, it put me right on the main event status right away. With uh, Eddie Watts actually was not supposed to be my partner. I was supposed to be doing the Super B's with uh, Hubert Gallant, who was like a very super talented and experimented guy. And he got injured on his back and then they brought in Eddie Watts from Winnipeg and uh, we started the team together. And it was all right, but it was my first territory ever. And right away, I'm wrestling on top against Mas Chono and the Booker Bulldog Bob Brown. I don't speak much English. I screw up a lot of uh, spots and I missed a lot of calls that because there were it was you know, we were calling things in the ring at the time and... Uh, it was just a
2: tough time. Very tough. Well, and I, I can't imagine but Chono what, what a spoke great, a lot of English what, what a either.
3: Great. Uh, what's that?
2: I can't imagine Chono spoke a lot of English either or, or French. Well, Chono, like,
3: but, but you know they were like uh, they were in love with Chono because uh, Chono came from New Japan Pro Wrestling mm-hmm. and they had like Japanese guys pretty much all the time there, like one or two every summer. So uh, it was not. There was no pressure on Chono because he was working. He was the tag uh, partner of uh, of Bulldog Bob Brown. So they they could talk to each other before and arrange their things and say, okay, we're going to do this and that. They didn't have to call that much, but working against the Booker, sometimes he would call spot in the ring. That that's for example Dr. Cozine, baseball side drop kick and then I wouldn't hear the baseball side and so I didn't know what to do. I was gonna just give him a bear rug out of nowhere. <laughs> and <laughs> and then that's so much confusion between me and Chono it was always funny, you know, like things worked out well. But uh yeah, so it was uh, my first territory and working on top. It was uh, too quick and too fast on top. And the main event every night, you know, I couldn't, like, I wasn't ready for that. I was only uh, 20 years old at that time and uh, maybe 19. So, uh, but with not much experience, you know, other than the, the wrestling school where, I was wrestling every Sunday afternoon. So it's just like uh, 52 shows, uh, let's say, for two, three years. It's 150 matches, but getting squashed every Sunday because I was just a new kid. So right. I didn't have much chance much chance to work with uh, a competitive match with uh, top guys. If I was working top guys, I was just getting squashed. You know, I couldn't get any offense or any – That's that's the way – Wrestling was back then, you know, you had to make a name for yourself and start from scratch and work your way up.
2: You would continue to hone your craft on the independent scene when in 1993, you would begin to wrestle for the International Wrestling Association in Puerto Rico. Pro wrestling in Puerto Rico in the late 80s, early 90s was a completely different kind of beast. But as I look back through their history, there's a huge contingent of Canadian names that made huge names for themselves in Puerto Rico. Tell us a little bit about your time in Puerto Rico and the connection between Canada and Puerto Rico, because you wouldn't think that that would be the most logical connection.
3: No, but it was a lot of uh, Americans as well. Mm -hmm. It was uh, the big time. I think the years that there was a lot of uh, guys from Canada that were going to Puerto Rico. Rick Martel and his brother, who died in the ring in Puerto Rico, actually, of uh, uh, indigestion. Um, Also, Frenchie Martin was really big in Puerto Rico. Uh, And... uh, back prior in the 70s, the Rougeaux, the Johnny Rougeau had a promotion here at Grand Prix Wrestling in Canada and Montreal, not in the Maritimes, and he was bringing talent from Puerto Rico. So when the Carlos colon decided to run Puerto Rico, uh, he used some a lot of talent from, from here or second generation or whatever. So that's how I guess canadian guys were going there and uh but i didn't for me i was trying to get booked there for almost two years sending packages over there but uh they would never call me back or if i was calling them they would say no i didn't have any connections at all what i did is like if i was going the in england i would sending packages with uh magazines from england if I was going to CWA for auto vans and I'd send German magazines or so going to South Africa for Jackie Kuhn. that'd send like uh, newspapers with me, main event thing over there. And eventually in 1993, I, I was sitting at home after I just toured uh, Germany for six months. and I got a call from Carl Colon. so I was very excited about it because they called me. And they wanted me to go there, and uh, so I, I went there, and uh, that's that's how I that's how I met Jacques Rougeau, and that's how I got my tryout with WWF.
2: That that was going to be my next question, because while you were in Puerto Rico, is when that opportunity came to you for the WWF. Jacques is the one that made that original connection for you.
3: Yeah, actually, yeah, he was watching my match all the time. Didn't know anything about me. I mean all the time so, like maybe for two weeks watching my matches every night uh when he was there cause he was only there like uh for big shows working Carlos and uh I, w- I was like uh always working either Carlos or Jose Gonzalez and uh everybody knows the story between Jose Gonzalez and Bruce o Brody, but never had any problem with Jose always good to me and um but they uh, at one point, they fell behind with my payoff and my paychecks. But paychecks with my cash. <laughs> <laughs> right.
2: And uh,
3: I had to just to tell them that I can't, I can't live like that. I can't have my mom, the Western Union, me some money every week to pay my hotel room. And so eventually I left the island and then they called me back. And I told them, well, you have to pay me every week and square off everything that you owe me right now and then I would go back and that's what I did. And I was a little bit nervous going back there. But,
2: Understandably. Uh, <laughs> I mean, that, that I was, was a rough territory. I and I
3: was nervous when I got back there, but, uh, everything worked out. Okay. At the end of the day, uh, it was like a tough territory as far as, uh, okay. Great weather, but very, very rough neighbor. Um, and, uh, I've seen a lot of guns and shootings and holdups and things like that. People getting shot. But uh, it, was, uh, it was all right. You know? It was a good experience. In
2: 1993, you would make your way to the WWF alongside the former Mountie, Jacques Rougeau as the Quebecers, which I'm sure you have talked about to death over the course of the years. But the thing that really stands out to me about this era is Johnny Polo. Of course, the man that we would now go on to know as Raven. PCO, I have met Raven. I met Raven in a gas station in Chicago during StarCast weekend, and it was the most interesting gas station trip that I've ever had in my life. I know you have to have a great Raven story or two.
3: Well, the thing is the fact that uh, Jacques had some sort of a way to think and he was saying, you know, we don't want to travel with the other boys because, you know, sometimes they get drunk or they do things that they shouldn't be doing and we don't want to get in any trouble and I don't want to be looked at as a bum or anything like that. So he said, well, we're just going to travel by ourselves. So every time that Johnny wanted, or Johnny or Scotty, wanted to travel with us. It was telling no, we're not going to take you with us. You got to find a ride. (laughs) So that's, that's a unique story. I've got to tell you that, that, that Scotty and Jock didn't get along that much. That's crazy. Scotty was there to be our manager and Jock would do most of the talking. Sometimes he wouldn't let the Scotty talk that much. So, uh, it was just, it was just a weird situation. And I, 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 I remember watching Scotty when he was doing like uh, Scotty the Body in Portland, Oregon mm-hmm. and he was a great talent and I couldn't believe why they were using him as a manager and not as a wrestler, you No, know? so uh
2: Well, the thing I find the, funny about that is over the course of the years, Raven is recognized as cutting one of the best promos over the course of professional wrestling history and you guys didn't want to let him talk.
3: <laughs> so, not me because uh, I, I didn't decide much at, the, at that <laughs> time. I was only 25. It was a, I was a young rookie, you know, in WWF, and, uh, you know, like I said, I was so impressed when I got there to, you know, like not too long ago, you watch all those guys on TV, and then eventually you just become World Tag Team Champions for the company, and, and everybody's like looking at you. What the heck? How come this guy just got here? He's got a strap around his waist and haven't paid any dues. Well, I've paid my dues, you know, I was in 16. I was getting beat up every day and every weekend and I got the Calgary for five, six months without being able to get a wrestling match and just hanging out with young guys in a ring place where we could train. Came back, went to the Maritimes, got fired after a month because I screwed up too many things and I had to picked up myself and went to Toronto and Toronto met a friend who got me booked book in England, and from then, everything started to roll. Like in England, we did main event, me and Rick Crawford. We drew good houses. I, I got to meet uh, Steve Regal, Dave Finley, Dave Taylor, uh, Robbie Brookside, Doug Dean. All the top talent that came from England, I've worked with them over in England or in Germany. And uh, so from that from that point on, my career kept on just boom, boom, boom. You know, Puerto Rico was working on top. Germany, 1992 was working on top with uh, Otto Van from former AWA world champion. And it picked up. And when I got to WWF, uh, Jacques had a reputation. I was with him and I I felt like I deserved that title because I had envisioned to to win you know, the world title eventually and the intercontinental title and the world acting title. I had envisioned, wanted to be the next Hulk Hogan I had envisioned like um, some sort of a run like Bret Hart, you know, getting the tag first and then the, the IC title and then the world title.
2: And you would capture those tag titles. You you would capture them on three separate occasions. The first time, defeating the Steiner brothers before finally losing them for the final time on April 26, 1994 on Monday Night Raw, which was also a new invention at that time. Tell us a little bit about what it was like being there for that transition, going from, you know, all tape shows to Vince proposing, hey, we're going to go live.
3: Yeah, it, was, it wasn't all right. I mean, uh, we didn't ever really put a lot of thoughts into it. We just went along with it. We didn't know what was all the, what was all at stakes with it. You know, what was the money was going to bring in as money? What were going to be the ratings? Because we were the first one we were doing it live every Monday. So for us, it was just like another show. We knew it was the most important show, but it was... Uh, it was just, you know, you got to steal the show. So, and then winning the titles against the Steiners uh, was uh, very, uh, very, very cool because we think that was Jacques' first major title. He, he had been like for one day IC champ, but this one meant a lot to him. So that night we didn't sleep that much. We, So much on the adrenaline that we're talking about the match the whole night. So we couldn't sleep
2: (laughs) soon after you guys would drop those tag team titles. They would split up the Quebecers. And I have to ask you about October 21st, 1994 sold out in Montreal. It's yourself against Jacques and what would be, dubbed as his retirement match. 4,000 screaming fans. It's just a house show, but you guys were in the main event of your hometown. That had to be an incredible moment for you guys.
3: Yeah, for me, it was a defining moment of my career because it was the chance to prove uh, Vince and all his uh, top, you know, uh, environment guys, you know, like, I mean... Uh, Bruce Pitcher, the Pat Patterson, the Jerry Briscoe, everybody surrounded Vince in the office at that time. All the decisions maker who proved to them that I could main event a WWF show and, and you know, and make it happen and, and, and killing it. You know, so that's what we did. You know, we totally killed it. You know, we're working on top. The last match of the night, we basically drew... House shows at the time would draw 3,000, 2,500 people, 1,000 people and we, on a house show, we drew 18,500 people, but there was a full roster there. Undertaker, uh, Yokozuna, Jim Knight Bret Art, Owen Art, Double J. (laughs) Uh, it's kind of, oh, like, yeah, uh, Shawn Michaels, everybody was on that show.
2: Even as you sit there and recite some of these names, do you just sit there and look at, it and you're just like, Hall of Famer, Hall of Famer, Hall of Famer, Hall of Famer. I it, The amount of people that you have worked with over the course of the years is just incredible.
3: Yeah, well, I don't really bother with that or pay attention to that.
2: That's, that's what, I that's just, what the people I'm like just, me are for.
3: <laughs> <laughs> I'm just focusing on the net, the next ta- task ahead, you know, what what's next and what, I, what do I want to accomplish and what do I want to achieve? But that was a, that was a good, uh, confidence booster to, to tell myself, you know, that I could make event and I could, you know, uh, draw money and it's, it's, uh, uh, every piece of the puzzles were put together and then, you know, uh, just, just trying to be creative and then make it happen.
2: Well, clearly, they saw it, too. In 1995, you were repackaged, and then you would go on for an incredible feud with Brett the Hitman Hart. At one point, you even stole the Hitman's jacket and sunglasses that all led up to a matchup at In Your House 3, September 24th, 1995, 16 minutes, 37 seconds, and if you've never seen it, ladies and gentlemen, go get on that other network and check this thing out. An absolutely fantastic match. Tell us a bit about working with The Best There Is, The Best There Was. Was the best there ever will be yeah
3: it was uh it was great uh red was really good to me uh he gave me his phone number i could call him at his house to put start put the match together throw some ideas around it you know put some some meat around the bones and uh he made himself uh, available and uh Gave me a lot of time during the day, even though we had like tons of interviews and photo shoots and interviews to do like uh, promos. And uh, that match, uh, I've, I've worked Brett like many times. The main event, the Madison Square Garden, or co main event, the Madison Square Garden with him. Uh, I was on a run for three months with him all over the states and Europe. And and this match, the in your house three is probably uh. One of the best matches in my career. I mean, and uh, uh, like Brett told me, um, even though you lost, I kind of, you know, made you with that match. So I got to be grateful to him uh, for that.
2: After some issues that would go down with the click, you would leave the WWF and like many did head for WCW. Unfortunately, like so many talents that left the WWF and went to WCW, you were incredibly underutilized. But there were a couple of highlights looking back. Yourself and Jacques would reunite as the French Canadians. Uh, One thing I did find just absolutely incredible about this run, though, that I think is just lost in, in the course of history... You were in the ring for Arn Anderson's last match, yourself and Jacques versus Mongo and Arn Anderson. I mean, what an incredible story that's got to be.
3: Yeah, well, I think we won that match, too. I think that was the setup. Uh, we were uh, gearing up to uh, for the uh, Molson Center in Montreal. It was me against the Big Show semi-main event and Jacques against Hulk for the main event. So... Uh, I think that we came out with that win against Arn and Mongo. I'm pretty sure, and uh, I didn't know that it was Arn's last match though.
2: It was Arn's last uh, match. Wow,
3: that's cool. And uh, yeah, certainly I was a big fan of uh, Arn and Tully when I was a kid. Uh, I thought they were like super great tag team, probably one of the best tag team ever. So Absolutely, I was a big fan of them. The way that they function together they were great so yeah so uh, it was just uh, not my cup of tea Uh, I didn't like WCW for many reasons I uh, I felt like I was a WWF guy uh, in my art from my young age and I felt that I had to reconstruct uh, all my business relations there because I was uh, like Jacques grew up like as a wrestler he did Pensacola, Alabama, Memphis, Tennessee. Kind of knew everybody. Uh, Kevin Sullivan, uh, um, everybody, uh, Harn, all those guys. I didn't know nobody. So I had to start from, in my mind, I had to start from from, from scratch again to get to know by the office. Even though they were watching us on every Monday on the other side, I... Uh, relationship wise I felt like I had to start all my relationships, you know, get to know people and get along with them, things like that, which took me so many years to build up that confidence with Vince, with with all the uh, with Bruce Richard, with Jerry Briscoe, with JJ Dillon. And I had to restart all over again with Kevin Sullivan, Eric Bischoff. Didn't know much Hulk, didn't know much about the... Uh, Basically, the only guys that that we knew there, and they came later, was the Steiner brothers. Uh, All the other guys, Jacques knew a lot of them, but I didn't. So I didn't feel comfortable at all in that uh, stay there.
1: Bro, if you're a real coffee lover, then you've got to try Broster's limited edition Vince Russo Bro Coffee. Available right now at www.thebrosters.com. This limited edition coffee is fresh roasted weekly and shipped directly to your door. You will love the Nicaraguan blend with roasted chocolatey notes when you smell it. Get your Vince Russo Bro Coffee today at thebrosters.com and follow them at Coffee Broasters today on Twitter. Enjoy the best coffee today, bro. From Brosters... Vince Russo brand and Hameen Media Group.
2: So then you would return to the WWF in 1998, depart again in 2000, but that was an action packed run as well, looking back in hindsight. You were in the tag team battle royal at WrestleMania 14, which is my personal favorite WrestleMania. I talk about it all the time. Uh, You you also spent time in Memphis as well as All Japan. PCO, tell us What what. Was I part of WrestleMania 14? Uh, according to my research, it said that you were in the tag team battle royal at WrestleMania 14. Could have been. I don't know.
3: <laughs> it was in Boston, but I don't. Rem- I don't. No, know that was I Chicago.
2: Know. 14 was Chicago. That was oh, um, yeah? that was um, uh, Sean and Austin.
3: I don't recall that though. I don't. I don't remember that.
2: Well, leave it up to the I, research I, I, guy to drop the ball on me and just make me look yeah, like an we, asshole. We, we, no, we
3: would have to. Uh, <laughs> make sure but i don't think so i think i was just part of wrestlemania well, then But i was there i know i was there at wrestlemania in boston who was probably the next year because i was there for i've signed for four years i did two i did 98 and 99 i think and uh we did four or five months as the quebecers and things weren't like what there was before the the relationship between me and JAG got like kind of broken. All uh, in WCW, we had a lot of arguments and a lot of things that we didn't get along. So uh, it was just uh, it was just uh, a, a tough times there tough times. And 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 a lot of things that happened. Jacques had a lot of bad blood going with Vince because. He wanted to go after we did the Montreal eighteen thousand five hundred retirement match. Jacques wanted to go to the Montreal Stadium. He wanted to be my manager. He wanted me to defeat Bob Backlund for the world title. Vince had agreed on it a little bit, like saying, "Okay, we're gonna look into it. That sounds like a good idea." So Jacques went try to get a good deal on the stadium to get it for cheaper because he was from Montreal, try to get involved in the dealing the stadium. Eventually, Marshman signed for WCW. Vince called back and talked to Jacques and told him, Jacques, we can't go there. You know, we don't have what it takes. And Jacques told Vince, what do you mean? We don't have what it takes. I'm there. You know, we got PCO. He's from Montreal. We're going to sell out that place. We're going to put 80,000 people there and, Vince says, "No, oh, Jacques, it's my money, I'm not going. And then Jacques said, okay, fine, then. If you don't want to go, I'll go with Hulk. And that was that was the bad blood between Vince and Jacques. And Vince told Jacques, well, I own Carl let You can't go with him. I own him. So hmm. that's that led to my run as a pirate. And then when everything went wrong with Kevin and the clique and uh, Sean and all that, we, me and John by default, kind of came back together, but it was never the same after that, you know. It's not really what I wanted, the way that I wanted things to happen. So it was just a tough time after that.
2: Recently, we also saw on Vice's Dark Side of the Ring that you were a part of the Brawl for All tournament. And, and this is one of those things I could not wait to talk to you about because I've always been fascinated by this. We, we've seen the explosion of UFC here in North America. At the time, Pride and Pancrase were just exploding all over Japan. Boxing hadn't completely fallen on hard times here in the States. What do you remember about the Brawl for All? Not so much the match that you had up with uh, Dr. Death, but more like, how was it received in the locker room? Was it something that the guys were into? Were you just kind of against it in theory? What do you remember about the Brawl for All?
3: Uh, I uh, think that nobody really liked it. But uh, like, for example, me, uh, Bruce Pritchard called me, And said, Vince got a great idea for you. We got that concept, Brawl for All. It's going to be shoot fight. And uh, your first opponent will be Dr. Dead, Steve Williams. And, you know, when he said, Vince got a great idea for you, I was happy. I said, oh, that's great. And then he said, da, 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 da. And I felt, you know, I'd put myself, you know, uh, in trouble a lot. And I... I, I stood up for myself saying, you know, a lot of things to Kevin Nash and, and Shawn Michaels and things like that. And I felt that I was tested there to see if I was a real, if I was real, if I was for real. So I felt, OK, so they want me to go against the guy that's supposed to win the whole thing. Right. And I couldn't say no. So I, I agreed on it. And it was a lot of money. It was like five thousand per matches lose or win and uh uh, at the end if you would win four matches the whole thing like bart did it was like two hundred thousand dollars so it was a lot of money involved and it was designed for dr dead steve
2: williams yeah until he tore that hamstring yeah and
3: uh and I, I, felt like I did good. I stood up for three rounds with him. I didn't even know back then what was a double leg down or a takedown, how to take someone down. I had no notions of the MMA whatsoever. And uh, and I still, I was thinking that I could maybe pull it off and maybe win this thing. <laughs> so I went there very positive, but. Didn't have the chance to train any combinations in boxing or any takedowns, or it was just a week. That's so and crazy. I, I brought a coach because I had, had the. They were telling us they had generic coach for everybody, which I thought that was like the worst thing ever because it's someone that who doesn't care who wins or lose. Right. Because he's there for every match anyways. So I brought someone. Spent a lot of money on his tickets and on his. Uh, I had hotel rooms and traveling, bringing this guy with me, someone from the MMA. And the night that I was supposed to fight Steve Williams, they said no, it's not gonna be this week; it's gonna be next week. So I, I felt like they were screwing with my head a little bit there. So ended up losing on the first round, and uh, I knew that Steve Williams. Everybody thought it was a tough guy, but he was scared he had a Huck came up to me and said, Steve. Uh, you know all Steve is and blah, blah, blah. You know his reputation. So if you don't want to get hurt, he's going to tag you and just pick up your five Gs and just let him win. And I told Aukis, just go back to Steve and tell him he's in for the fight of his life. I don't give a damn about what he wants to do. I'll tear his head off. So basically that was it.
2: Trying to vote. fix the shoot fight.
3: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he was trying not to uh, jeopardize his push kind of. But it came to an end against Bart, anyways. Like you said, you know, Taurus against Rain, and that was it.
2: From 2000 on, it's an incredible journey of world travels from headlining in Montreal against King Kong Bundy, back to Puerto Rico alongside Savio Vega, stints in NWA TNA, until at Pro Wrestling Syndicate's 10th anniversary show, you finally get in a ring with Kevin Nash and you beat him. And then you would abruptly announce your retirement in 2011. Things seem to be going so well for you in your travels. Why that decision to walk away in 2011?
3: Well, and when uh, Kevin Nash came for uh, IWS and uh, wrestled in, that was kind of cool because uh, we had the chance, you know, came, put me over, we had the chance to talk, had to chance to explain myself, my side of the the way that I saw things you know, when everything happened. And he got to know me better and uh he kinda became like not best of friends, but we became good friends. And uh if I was gonna know everything that I knew about him uh I wish I could have been on their side, you know. Uh, well, not against them, you know, but uh, I wish I could have got along with what they were doing. Even though it's a very competitive business and there's a lot of jealousies and things like that, I should have been patient and just just go along with the flow. And I think uh, I, would, uh, I got what I was always wanted to have there. I just got impatient. I just got worked out. I just got the toxic, toxic it was so toxic environment and uh, so that was good for me and then yeah after that I felt like I had so many tryouts with WWF and they never had anything for me creative creative didn't have anything if I tore the house down um, Stephanie doesn't have anything for you creative don't have anything for you same thing you know over and over for so many years that uh, I just decided that I was gonna just Take a step back and do Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, amateur wrestling, karate, Yokishin, stay in shape, and just wait and see. And uh, eventually uh, got the opportunity to uh, wrestle Walter at WrestleMania 34. And then, boom, everything exploded.
2: Yeah, I think that was... I think that was the first time I had heard that PCL was back. It was Joey Janela's spring break, April 2018. Now the infamous matchup against Walter. PCL, I heard this insane story last night that you drove 40 hours to go fight Walter and then turn around and drive 40 hours to go back home. Why would you drive 80 hours to go fight Walter?
3: Because I I knew that was going to be the turning point in my career. I knew that was going to be the night that was going to change my life. I just knew deep down inside because the way that serendipity, I guess, just the way that everything had lined up, that had aligned itself. I got called up. I was doing a few shows here in Montreal and Ontario, and then I got called up from Indiana, Michael Blanton, had a hell of a match against uh, Hall Eaton, uh, I'll Ethan Page. Joey Jenila was there, asked me to be part of the spring break. joey Genela Spring Break too. Danny Demento and Brit Law there were partners and had known them before. And just the way that things were lining up. It was so unreal. It was so cool. And I was actually supposed to lose again against Walter on top of that. And then when I got there, they decided that I was going to win. And it was a huge upset. And it was like an awesome night. And uh, then things start. All my past start clicking back. Like I had met Marty in England in 2007, 2008. I had met Nicole this uh, it's like everything that I had done in the past that I, I thought that was water under the bridge. And Marty kept on texting me, "Are oh, you killing it? You're killing it. Maybe would you like to come? Uh, do, do you have a contract? Do you sign with anyone?" Because I was doing a lot of MLW. I was doing. Mm-hmm. I was being asked by uh, Impact Wrestling if I was free, and I didn't want to sign with anyone. I wanted to keep my options open. And Ring of Honor was, for me, it was the deal. I decided to sign with them. Never regretted it.
2: In June of 2018, you would make your way to PWG for BOLA, the Battle of Los Angeles. You would fall in the first round to a guy that you now know pretty well. His name's Brody King. Was, Was this the first time that you and Brody had met? Uh... I think we had met before that in
3: Toronto for a Smash Wrestling, maybe in a few other, or maybe that was the first time and we wrestled Toronto after. But in 2018, BOLA was certainly like a big highlight, you know, that, that even got more spotlight on myself. Uh, but I was booked all over the country like four days a week, solid, like nonstop from WrestleMania all the way to the end of 2019. I, I just got booked everywhere or every single territory in the States, and I made a huge name for myself. And so many people didn't even know that PCO was actually Quebecer Pierre or Jean-Pierre Lafitte or right. X or Carl Ouellette, or... Whatever, so it was so cool because it was like a new kid that just broke into the indie world and had made a name for himself and nobody knew what it was really. You know, it was like it just burst out of the the, the universe, you know, it's just boom.
2: Yeah, by December of 2018, you would make your way to Ring of Honor, debuting alongside Brody and Marty to form Villain Enterprises. And then the tear through the ROH roster would begin. Starting with the tag team division, you would go on to win Tag Wars. And then on the road to Supercard, you would defeat the Briscoes to win the ROH Tag Team Championships. 17th anniversary the next night, uh, Villain Enterprises go on to win the six-man titles. It's like... Within a couple of months, you go from, you know, you're wrestling Walter and everybody's like, holy crap, PCO. And then a half a year later, you're holding two belts inside of Ring of Honor.
3: Yeah. It was pretty insane, but it's like, you know, had to work so hard, you know, during all those years. And I just feel like that's the way it is. When you keep believing in something and you never quit, you know, on your dream and and it becomes a goal and it's just something that you're working towards mm-hmm. it, even though like, it feels like you're almost retired, but you still have that, you know, that fire burning desire inside of you. I think, you know, that's what made it happen. I was so fired up about the whole thing. I wanted to accomplish so badly this task, you know, becoming a world champion and, uh, and i have accomplished only half of what i wanted to accomplish because i really believe that i can uh move uh with with, with the team and with a great team surrounding me and great uh, villains and things like that that i can draw you know help draw like huge crowds and sell out places and things like that and, and make like ratings and and buy rates like great, and uh, just just uh, and then just make uh, a movie out of my life,
2: basically. Well, one thing that absolutely would be featured in that movie would be the G1 supercard. You, you, that night, you would yourself and Brody would face off with the Gorillas of Destiny, the Briscoes, and Los Ingobernables de Japón's Evil Sonata. It's like the four of the best tag teams on the face of the planet in a sold-out Madison Square Garden. PCL, what, Ring of Honor and New Japan coming together to sell out the garden was incredible, but it had to be a very, very special moment for you to be in the middle of a sold-out garden again all these years later.
3: And, I've, uh, and I've had, like, with D-Destro by my side, a uh, guy who literally helped me, you know, Get back into the game by being my personal coach, my mentor, and, and 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 training me every day, and believing in me, and having him like you know jumpstart me with the cables and the electricity and the electric chair, and having like one of the most spectacular entrances of pro wrestling history, basically because the garden was literally on fire, like the twenty-one thousand. Incredible. Thousand plus fans were chanting PCO's is not human" for almost ten minutes, you know. And then I did the moon salt, like some crazy good move. And then at the end, the power bombed on my head on the cement floor and sitting up on it, and having the crowd going crazy and shaking their heads. And you know, I I really felt like I uh, people were going through a chain of emotions and that's what this business is all about. You know, having the crowd, the fans going through all kinds of emotions, happiness, excitement, sadness, worries, uh, empathy, uh, being happy for, you know, a comeback and things like that. So it was so many feelings that went through their minds throughout the course of that. That match and that entrance and the way that I was uh, welcomed back in the garden was like pretty unreal. It's uh, one another, you know. It's gotta top five moments in my entire life.
2: A couple weeks later, yourself and Brody King would go on to win the 2019 Crockett Cup, as well as the vacant NWA World Tag Team Championships. PCL, by this point, you had completely rejuvenated your career, a rejuvenation that even Chris Jericho would be jealous of. In this era of professional wrestling where reality has become the new gimmick, you have invented this monster character that people have just fallen in love with, and you bring up Destro. I heard that Destro is the one that made a comment to you about how you were walking around like Frankenstein and you had never even seen Frankenstein. You didn't know who Frankenstein was until Destro had turned you on to it.
3: Yeah. Destro, uh, I, I, he was training me and then he saw me, I was walking towards the door away from him and he saw me from my, um, he saw me like walking away from him and, uh, Say, wait, 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 turn around, come back here. You walk just like Frankenstein. You are Frankenstein. Uh, you are that monster. Didn't even know back then that Destro was a big uh, monster fan, was a big Frankenstein fan, was a big uh, fan of those movies, and that movie especially. So, you know, from the Georgia last Spring Break 2, everybody was saying it's the resurrection of PCO, And now without knowing it, you know, I'm getting resurrected by D-Destro with the electricity in the meantime. So it was like, yeah, that was made for me, you know. It's just coincidence. It's happening. So couldn't have asked for a better character. That's totally myself on a larger scale. It's exactly who I am, the way I walk, the way I run, the way I, you know, it's written by someone who is from a foreign country and everything works out perfectly with me so it's good because it's a great character and also it's so much so close to the reality but it's a character
2: throughout 2019, you would continue to just run through the roster, whether it was Matt Taven, Jeff Cobb. Hell, you even defeated Marty in a number one contenders tournament at Glory by Honor to earn yourself a shot at then ROH World Heavyweight Champion Roosh. I remember watching that match live and the emotion that was shown that night after the match with Marty on the microphone. Even the monster seemed a bit taken aback by that. I, I, I take it you were not expecting that. Yeah,
3: that uh, was awesome having all my uh, partners in the ring with me and uh, celebrating all together. After that, he tried to uh, uh, cheat on me with the umbrella at the beginning. You know, getting a quick one on me. What a cheating? And that <laughs> was good for him. And uh, it was good for me, and it was good good for both of us. So uh, it worked out perfectly. And uh, and then the match against Rouge that really, everything really came full circle. I got to be world champion. It was, the match took so many risks, and uh, it, it was awesome. And uh, well, just getting it- back into.
2: I I think the thing that gets lost about that matchup with Roosh at final battle in 2019, you win your first major promotion world heavyweight championship. But the, what you guys did that night in Baltimore is basically the same thing that I'm seeing so many praising undertaker and AJ styles for. I'm seeing them praise Bray Wyatt and John Cena, but you guys did it in front of a live freaking crowd. It was one damn take. I'm glad
3: that you mentioned that because I I really felt like it took a lot of ideas from us, you know, by being on the hearse and walking on the hearse and they didn't want to take bumps though, you know, like they didn't take any bumps. It just made like, you know, in the hole and they like, you know, like a movie, like, okay, we don't see what happened, but he's in a bad position now. You, you haven't seen any bumps we took the risk. I took the risk. You know, I, I put my, my life on the line. I put my body on the line. That's how I am. I want to please the Ring of Honor, you know, uh, Honor Club, you know, fans, the live audience fans, and that's the way I am. I want to give everything I've got, and I want to sometimes, you know, take risks. In order to make the fans realize, well, these guys are giving a show for us, you know, and uh, that's what we're getting paid for. And that was so important to me. And I was wondering if I was the only one who thought that Taker and WWE and everybody uh, kind of copied our match uh, or it gave them ideas for it. But, uh, anyways, we we were the first one to to do it, and then we came up with it. And thanks to Harawaiter believing in that uh, Friday night, the 13 uh, December massacre match, and to being able to perform and ta- ta- taking those risks, and and having the hers there and fighting on that hearse and
2: well, and I mean even that was windshield. perfect. I, yeah. it, it was perfect. I, you could not have planned out 33 years ago that the moment that you're finally going to win the World Heavyweight Championship, it's going to be on Friday the 13th, and you're going to be this Frankenstein-like kid. It was perfect. It, it was, it was written in the stars.
3: Yeah, it was in the stars. Not even like anybody. Like Hunter at the time was like the booker. And now he's like... Uh, executive producer of the show, didn't even know, like, he realized himself, well, yeah, that's Friday the 13th, that's perfect. You know, everything kind of went my way. And uh, we had the car, the hearse, the, the Destro, the whole nine yards. Was Everything worked perfectly.
2: And, you know, the, the thing that really stands out the most to me about that moment is this moment. And every moment that I have seen of you since that moment, PCO, you seem like you did it. And you have this giant smile on your face every time I see you, whether it's cutting a promo, whether it's inside of a match, whether it's doing interviews, sitting down with me on Skype so that I can run my mouth for an hour. You're you're just, you're beaming from ear to ear every time I see you. It's like you have this sense of, completeness now inside of your career yeah. but you say you've only accomplished half of what you wanted
3: yeah absolutely what,
2: what's the other half
3: like i said just uh just becoming a draw you know a huge draw and becoming a major attention a major attraction well
2: that's sir what I, that's so at. sir i think you have accomplished that as well whether you realize it or not
3: Thank you very much for taking that a Very, very great compliment, but gotta work harder just to make it better.
2: So that's going to wrap things up for this week's episode of Podcast of Honor. Thank you for joining us and if you haven't yet, please hit that subscribe button. Then visit the entire HTM Podcast Network online hittingthemarks.com, thegorillaposition.com where they tell the stories of pro wrestling storytellers. Visit our friends over at LastWordOnProWrestling.com for the latest news from across the professional wrestling world and NDPW.com for the latest news across the globe when it comes to independent professional wrestling news. For more from PCO, visit ROA wrestling.com sign up for their streaming service honor club so you never miss a minute of the action you can find me across all social media platforms at not jargo pco thank you so much for joining me today how do the peeps the freaks and the geeks keep up with you
3: just on facebook twitter and instagram at pcos not human and you'll find me there i'm there to every monday night pco and uh, uh monday night pco and destro every monday night and uh have access to all my uh the stuff that i post and everything that's going on in my
2: life and my career hashtag better than raw thanks everyone for <laughs> watching or listening we'll talk to you back here next time on Thank the podcast you so of honor
0: infidels I've greenlit my latest cell, and it's the War on Morons podcast. That's right, the world's full of morons, but I've sent Jay and Anisa to declare war on them. From the stupid criminals to those Florida man stories you love, and the other idiots of Hollywood and DC. These new Hamid soldiers speak the truth the stupidity in a fun and comical manner. Each week, these two will be bringing on friends and all these crazy characters to give you the punk rock comedy news show you didn't even know that you needed, but you have it now that you're under quarantine you will listen infidels and that's right there's a bit of uncertainty every week from the live hotlines. So you never know who's going to call into the show <laughs> so plant your flag in the sand grab your friends and suit up because the war on morons has commenced infidels visit them now and subscribe at the war on morons.podbean.com <laughs>